Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Paul Listnick Behind the Curtain, my chance to step away from the world of politics and law that I cover on television to talk about a true passion, which is that of theater. Although when you're talking to this group of people and to the timeline theater, um, you're kind of in the world of politics and history because they all blend together, as so many of my guests who are joining me can attest to. Today, we are talking about the current show at Timeline Theater, which is called Lifespan of a Fact. If it sounds familiar, yeah, it was on Broadway, I think it was back in 2018. Um, just prior to the pandemic with with people that nobody heard of, like Daniel Radcliffe and Bobby Cannavale and, and, and folks who knows who they are. But but we know who these folks are because uh, they are stars of Chicago. Let me introduce them to you. We got the whole cast. We got the whole cast and the director. They're all here and I love it. I'm going to start with, because he's my oldest friend here of this group, and PJ Powers, who is a co-founder of Timeline Theater, hence the beard. And... Um, <laughs> He plays the star, John. Did you did you have the beard? Is that about the role, or did you just did you grow a beard? It's it is for the role. That's that's how deep I go into my art, Paul. Oh, absolutely. You're like, and it, it, it's 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 naturally all dark, but I I dyed it gray. Just okay. Yes, I hear. Yes, yes. You're like the Ernest Shackleton of timeline. Um, but anyway, so you, of course, are a co-founder of the theater back in 1997. I'm not going to do these long things. You're artistic director. You've been doing that since 99. Uh, but you, you have not acted, PJ, since 2015, right? With, uh, with the Apple Family Plays. That was your last time on stage. Yeah, I had taken a... Take, taken a long pause from from being on stage to to focus on, on being artistic director, but... Um, Michelle and Juliet in particular lured lured me back, and I'm grateful uh, to them. I'm, gl- I'm glad they did. It's the first time I've seen you perform, so I just love it. And uh, you've overseen 80 plays, 13 world premieres, 39 Chicago premieres. I love it. And you couldn't be closer to me now being over on Wellington in the current location of the theater. Uh, new and, and, and greater things yet to come. Um, but also joining us, let's talk, go through the cast. Uh, Juliet Hart, who plays Emily, uh, also a founding member. Uh, actually, there's only one person here who isn't. But anyway, uh, also a founding member of... <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the timeline theater, uh, all sorts of Jeff Award nominations, and uh, but what I love about you, Julia, because we're talking about the play today, but I want to give a shout out to the Timeline's Living History Education Program because you direct that. How important is that in your your work with CPS students? It is so important. It, I literally just jumped out of three classes this morning, so yes, you're the um, reason we moved the time for the for this interview, which was fine. Yes, yes. So. Um, it is a program that is near and dear to my heart, but also really to Timeline's mission and um, a program that grew very organically through um, the sort of educational component that's part of everything we do and, and the, the little bit of curiosity that sort of uh, is present, I hope, in all of our work all the time. It's what makes Timeline so different. I mean, just the the the... the authenticity component of the work that you do, which is just so amazing. It's a history lesson for everybody and so important. Let's finish meeting the cast. Um, and uh, this is, I'm, I'm afraid, just this is his debut. I mean, uh, this is just the first time we get you. Uh, but Alex Benito Rodriguez uh, joins us. He plays the role of Jim. You are fabulous in this, Alex. I mean, what a great debut. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's truly uh, a gift and a pleasure to be able to be in this show. 
with such fantastic artists and what a fun character I get to uh, play with. Um, as you know, Jim is uh, quite the character who runs around the entire show and uh, it's, it's a blast for me. It really yeah. is. And by the way, PJ grew his beard for the show. Every picture I've seen of you on Instagram, whatever you have a beard, did they make you shave yours? They did. Yes, yes. And it's such a strange difference. You know, my, my headshot has me with some facial hair. And so some of the uh, audience members are talking to the front of house people and they say, how old is he? Because he looks one age here, but then on stage, he looks a different <laughs> age. So it's called guessing. <laughs> And also joining us, Michelle Mo, who is the director of this show. And Michelle, you also uh, a company member. Um, I, by the way, I, I, you did Rutherford and Son as an, I love that show. What an amazing set too. Um, yeah, I just, I just thought that was, was gorgeous. And actually, I think that one was, I think we were just coming out of the pandemic when that one was up. Cause I think, I think I remember wearing a mask for that. I think, uh, Francis Guinan in that. What, what a fabulous show it was. And, and actually everybody here was in the Apple family plays except you, Alex. So we got a lot of catching up to do, uh, to bring you in the middle of this world. I'm just picking on you a little bit. It's kind of fun. I, I have to tell you before we talk about the show, PJ. So I was, um, last week, although I'm kind of a theater person, I do subscribe to Cranes. And so last week I opened it up and there on, uh, page, I don't know, page or page 20 is a, um, like a, a commentary by you. Uh, and it's all about the world of theater. It's called The Right Moment to Uplift and Embrace Theater. Now, you think I'm going to ask you about this this commentary. I'm not. I'm just going to encourage everybody to, to go online or, or get a hard copy like I do of Cranes. I would just love sitting there and seeing it. The question I do have, uh, Alex, did you read it? And did you look for factual mistakes in the commentary? I did read it. And uh, right when I came in, I was asking PJ whether or not he would consider it an essay or an article. <laughs> which anyone who's seen the show knows that's a very contentious topic for uh, PJ's yeah. character. And, and did I, you also, really, I was just funny with you. Did you really do that? I, I did read it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, it's no, no. But you didn't ask me that question. Okay. You were just oh, no. We, we had, we had, a, we had a, a funny little banter about it uh, in the dress room, kind of like our banter on stage. And I, yeah. I said, yeah, all those quotes of Richard Christensen's book, I made those all up. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So if you haven't seen the comic, go see it. If you haven't read Richard Christensen's book, I've got a signed copy. Uh, be sure to do that too. PJ, let me just come to you because I'm, we're talking about the show like everybody knows what it's all about. They don't. So we need to tell everybody what the plot line of lifespan of a fact is. Yeah. So uh, I play um, a guy named John Degata, who is a real life writer, essayist. Um, and Alex plays uh, another real life guy named Jim Fingal. Uh, Juliet's character is, is, is kind of a... Um, conglomerate of, of a few different uh, magazine editors but uh this play is is inspired by by true events john degata wrote an essay um about the city of las vegas and in particular about um a teenage boy who took his own life in in las vegas he wrote this beautiful haunting essay uh, originally for harper's magazine harper's distanced themselves from it and said they weren't going to publish it thought that that Degata took a few too many liberties, and then um, another publication um, was going to run with it, but first hired an intern, uh, fact checker, uh, Jim Fingal, who went to town on this this essay, uh, finding uh, dozens upon dozens upon dozens of either elaborations or fudged truths, and it and it kicked off this this debate between the the two guys uh with Degata you know professing artistic liberties and and creative license and being an essayist not not a journalist and you know Jim just 
calling BS on on that uh, and, you know, saying facts matter. And they ended up writing a book together that is their correspondence over many years. And then that inspired uh, this play. So um, in in the play, it's all compacted into three days in a very fun, fast paced um, and and at times quite hilarious play. A very hilarious play. I I loved it. And Juliet, before I come to you, because I think in many ways the audience is you uh, in this case, or at least that's why I see it. We'll talk about it. But Alex, let me just ask you, because you're an artist and an actor. So as you were reading this role and learning about it, and of course, you, Daniel Radcliffe played your role on Broadway for whatever that's worth. But did did you look at this and go, actually, I kind of I like what John is doing here because the actor in me would want to want to let him see it. Or did you look at this and say, no, this is what happened factually. I mean, yeah, I have a real issue. Who which one is Alex in real life? Yeah, a great question. I was lucky enough to see a version of this show um, in Sarasota, Florida, where I was getting my MFA in acting. Um, and when I first watched it, I was very much on the side of John at being an artist. Like you said, like I, I believe in the power of storytelling. And, you know, once getting uh, this role and really having to dig deep into Jim and why he's so obsessed with all of these little facts, I, I really have come to find myself more on his side. Um, and I know a lot of the audience members are voting to, to publish this piece, even though there are some issues. But for me, um, it's been really interesting to get at, to the core of what Jim is saying. And really what I believe it is, if you start changing one little thing, it's going to keep going. It's going to snowball into, well, if we can change this, then we can change any everything. And I think there's a lot of examples of how today in the real world, that can be a really dangerous thing. So um, I absolutely believe in the power of storytelling, but all of this character research I've been doing, I, I have to be on Jim's side for this. By the way, before I, I have to go on, but I, Alex, I forgot to bring this up. You are part of the Wender Collective, which does laboratory-style physical theater. I'd like to think I know a fair amount about theater. The hell is laboratory style? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So kind of based off of um, the work of Jerzy Kurtowski, who's a um, Polish director and theater maker, theater of the poor. So kind of stripping the theater for everything that we usually fill it with and just using us, the actors and our bodies and, um, uh, physical devised ensemble focus. And we use the word laboratory because laboratory is, it's an experiment. We don't know what we're going to get. So that's the type of work that I really enjoy um, kind of digging my teeth into. And I'm a teacher at UIC. And so I, I bring a lot of that into the room as well. But it's also really nice to do a, a play where we have a set and we have props and a more uh, traditional kind of linear storytelling. It's also something that I really enjoy. Plus the, the name, very much like the rabbi who runs the Chabad, right, where you guys are on Wellington. So it's Chalas on Friday. Julia, let me come to you and talk about your role. I, when I said the phrase, um, I think the audience is you, it's because I'm not, I don't want to give anything away. I think the way the show ends is the way it needs to end. And we don't need to, it's up to you whether you choose to say, I never give secrets away in a show. I interviewed the cast of Evan, Dear Evan Hansen once, and, and they said, please don't tell anybody that Connor dies. And I went, he dies in the first five seconds of the show. Why? <laughs> Why is that so secret? But but and if you haven't seen Durban Hansen, I just ruined it for you. But but uh, so be it. But anyway, Julian, am I right? Do you are we the audience? Is the audience your character? That is a great question. Also, um, I don't know. I mean, it does seem in the lobby that I am winning the I'm an Emily <laughs> contest. <laughs> 
But, you know, I, I can't say why that would be. Um, I don't the know. I, I mean, because we, we, there's a decision to be made and you're the decision maker. And that's why I think we're you. But for the fact that maybe we do or don't know what Emily's going to do. Yeah, maybe maybe that is the best way of putting it. And I will say, um, and I don't think this is giving too much away, um, that I do try and make that decision in a very fresh way every night. So that was something Michelle really um, kind of empowered me with towards the end of the rehearsal process. And it keeps me alive on stage and it kind of keeps my brain constantly engaged in that that fine balancing act between the art and the, and I guess truth or integrity, you know, what Jim is really standing for. Um, because I think he's much beyond the nitty gritty. He's really saying people have to have something to hold on to something that's tangible. So I think I like the way you put it. I think the audience, you know, is put in that position and that's the feedback that I have been getting from them and our show discussions that they feel like they get to decide every night, which I think is great. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And and they not only decide walking out, but as, as you say, there's all sorts of timeline always has fun things to do. Yeah. Uh, the, it's not quite the lobby. I don't know what that area is called, PJ, but it's it's kind of before you get out there. But there's always the history. There are things on display. This time we get to vote on all sorts of little things with with uh, pins and all that kind of thing. I brought a voodoo doll to have fun with that. Michelle, let me come to you as the director of this. First of all, I, I'm always intrigued when when a director takes on something that involves real people uh, and real history. So first of all, I don't know whether or not you had any contact. Everybody's alive. So I, was there any contact with anybody? Did any of that matter to you? Did the Broadway production with the stars that people know uh, matter to you at all in, in putting this on together? Yeah, it is really interesting. We, um, we were not in contact with uh uh, Jim Fingal or John Degada, uh, to, to my dismay, I would have loved to have spoken to them. Um, also just because of, as, as PJ said, this, this all started, they, they decided very early on in their conversation with each other and their, and their work together to make the book. And so they kind of made characters out of themselves. Everything's is heightened. And then when it became a play, they became even more heightened. So when you see any, interviews with them there's they come across so much more different on the page than they actually do in real life and and i when i was speaking to pj early on in the process i, I said please don't watch any videos of john degada because it, was, it had such a different feel and energy than what was on the page and what i felt the play's character was so that's just a really interesting piece but uh early on in the rehearsal process i think the end of our table work week um we had two of the playwrights come and join Join us oh, wow. and speak a little bit about um, how how the inspiration came to be in, in the Broadway production. And uh, they are both uh, former U of C graduates. I feel like that kind of has that feel in the play a little bit, too. But they did come and speak to us and the entire cast our, our first week of the process. And that's great information to have. And then you just kind of put that aside and you work on the show that you're working on, right? Like what our interpretation of the piece is. Yeah. And, and by the way, I talked to the cast of POTUS last week and part of their preparation, they had Jen Saki and some other folks come in. I went, well, this is fun. Uh, <laughs> this is a good thing to do. So PJ, this is a good question for you as somebody who goes back to the beginning and, 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 and especially in your artistic director role. 
Uh, so Michelle kind of took the thunder away part of the question, which is what kind of homework do you do? Everything you do is basically historically based. I think there might be exceptions. I don't know, but, but so much of it is historically based. Do you have an expectation that your actors will do some kind of homework unless instructed not to? There was a time I interviewed an actor who played a historic figure. I'm going to leave the names out for the reason you'll understand in a second. And when I interviewed this person, I said, did you do much research about the history of this incredibly well-known historic person? The answer was, well, no, I'm an actor. I just memorized the script. That's really all I know about this person. And I was a bit taken aback. I mean, it was the answer, but I was a bit taken aback by that because I just thought, how do you bring depth to a character if you don't know anything about, and I mean a famous character? What, what's your sense, PJ? Um, yeah, I mean, at, at, at timeline, um, you're right. All, all of the plays we do explore, um, history in some form or fashion. And they're, they're really about making connections between past and, and, and present. Um, so we, we have, uh, dramaturgs who work on all of our, our shows who do on their own tremendous research. Um, so when our actors come into any project or our, our designers, they're they're armed with all of this research that our dramaturgs have have um, crafted, you know, in addition to any other homework that that actors do on on their own. And as as you already referenced, um, timeline also shares all that historical context with with our audience. We create exhibits in, in our lobby. We have a, a backstory magazine that everyone gets as as their their, their playbill and. Um, you know, sort of tying into the themes of this play, um, timeline takes creative liberties all the time. I mean, play, playwrights in general do. Go, going back to Shakespeare and the, the the Greeks, you know, in the service of of great drama, you have to take um, uh, liberties. Otherwise, we'd be doing a lot of pretty long, boring plays. Um, but timeline also believes in pointing our audience in the right direction of where they can um get more facts and and learn more and and study up you know we just closed our production of the Lehman trilogy and our playbill was was filled with annotations of all of the the truths and all of the elaborations within the play and we've we've done you know something similar with lifespan so um so anyway for for the, this show i was digging deep into john degada's writings you know he's a, a brilliant essayist and i was reading a, a lot of his his books and and other essays, and I was about to start watching some some video interviews when Michelle said, "I'm not so sure." Uh, and I I eventually did check it out, and I I understood you know why Michelle um, said that, and it's also because the playwright said to us, "Hey, we deliberately didn't get to know John or Jim when we sat down to create characters. We wanted the license to create characters." Yeah. And I, and by the way, I interviewed the cast of Lehman Brothers, so be sure to check that interview out if you haven't, all three of them. And I got an unbiased compliment from Joey Slotnick's father. So, uh, you know, if, if that, that, he could have said anything. Um, but Alex, I want, I want to come to you next because I think what's so critical, while the audience, in my view, relates to, uh, Emily, your character, and, and Michelle's going to have to chime in on this, but, you have to be, in my view, what you are, which is this annoying, lovable, but dedicated, young journalist. And I think the audience has to both, I think, be annoyed by you, but also like you. Uh, and you accomplish that. 
I don't know what homework you did about the character Jim. I'm guessing Jim is not the way you play it. But this distinction, the difference between you and John's role is pushed as far as it can be to be acceptable, believable, and it works. Well, thank you. Um, and yeah, like there have been a couple of conversations I had with Michelle of like trying to find that right balance between, yes, he's annoying, but also we want him to, we want the audience to like him as we go through this entire process. Um, and so for me, my research was a little less focused on Jim Fingle, the actual person, because similar to what Michelle was saying, very different from the character in the play. And I was more focused in on what is his process? What is his way of thinking? Why is he so dedicated to all of this? And there's a few different times in the play where I say, I want to prove myself. I, I need to prove myself. And so coming in from, you know, being an intern and having these two wonderful characters uh, who are, you know, um, uh, John and uh, Emily, who I look up to, I hope to have their jobs one day. So I think that desire to be, um, to be recognized for my work is really the driving force for Jim. And then the thought process behind like, what are my, what are my values in relation to fact checking? Why is it so important for me? And I almost get blinded by that in some way because I'm, I'm he's ridiculous. Like I can, I can really say he's a ridiculous character. Um, but the commitment and passion that he has has to be genuine and honest. And I think that is how the audience you know, despite everything he does, they still they still care for him. Um, at least I hope so. <laughs> well, I think so. Uh, and it's like you've done him in the laboratory. Oh, wait, that's it's gone. Uh, <laughs> Julian, I'm curious. And I don't know if you think this this, you know, as you as you roundtable, you talk about things. But in the end, does Emily hire Jim? Uh, you mean after this this whole thing? This moment is over. We know what we know as an audience, but life went on. I don't mean what happened in the real world. I, but yeah. It, but oh. it, it, does Emily hire him? I love that question, and I would say yes. I would say yes, she does. I love tracking um, sort of my ups and downs with Jim. My um, initial intrigue at his intelligence and his curiosity, and then my, my just complete what the are you doing? <laughs> but then I really do think that by the end, he has pleaded through a series of those kind of beautiful monologues, his, his case for an, a new generation, perhaps, um, but also just for integrity. And again, for, for what people need, at least through his, you know, his mindset. And I think you know, the beauty of this play is that in between line of what we what we need and um, not seeing all one way or all the other way. And I think, you know, that is where we run into so many terrible problems today. So I would say absolutely. Yes, I would, because I err more towards um, a more art artistic, you know, license but um i think it's really really important to always have people asking questions all the time i love the way you just did that it was like a brady bunch thing <laughs> up to the, the upper square for pj michelle i'm coming to you for some of the follow-up and some of these things with pj just out of curiosity who grows who grows in this show jim or john I think they both do i think i think what we're experiencing is two people really trying to make an effort to communicate and understand each other 
even though it's really hard and, and, and just tagging back a little bit to what Alex was saying, one of the ways that I looked at it and also talked about with my designers is how do we represent these differences between these two people and, and what we're experiencing and the support with the design around it. But we talked very early on about, you know, John being all jazz. If you think about them in a musical kind of way, like John's very jazz and, and, and Jim is very classical. And that's a conversation. And every conversation I had with anyone working on the show, I said, are you a Jim, John or Emily? And kind of made people sit and think about it in the same way that you asked, right? Um, cause I, I think it is really important, but you have these three really distinct points of view. And we, we brought that into the sound design. Andy Hansen, who's an amazing, uh, sound designer and, uh, you know, composed original music with those ideas that clashing together because it's two people that are just always kind of missing each other and their thoughts and ideas. So I think for all three of them, they all challenge each other. They all have very distinct points of view and they all grow from it. I can't let you end there. In fact, when you said, um, John is jazz. My mind did go, uh, or sorry, jazz and classical. I didn't think of classical, but I have to ask you to tell me about Emily. Then what is Emily? Emily. I've actually been listening to class. Oh, was that for Emma, for Michelle or for me? It, 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 well, it's for Michelle because she's oh, giving yeah. the way she saw it. Although I'll come to you and get, get a response from yeah, you. Yeah. What, what is the role of Emily in your mind? If we have jazz uh, and classical already taken or is she one of them? Disco. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, she's not. I actually was thinking it's got to be something like she's like ballroom, ballroom dance, something very, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I he know. knows me too well. <laughs> so what you're saying is Juliet is disco. <laughs> Juliet's all disco all the time for sure. <laughs> um, Alex, you have no memories of the disco era, do you? <laughs> hey, I I still like the music though. <laughs> <laughs> so, do- yeah, go ahead, Michelle. No, I do think that Juliet's character like embodies both. Of, she has a foot in both of these worlds, right? That's why she's able to kind of to really. That's why she's the mediator in this world, right? And she's yeah. really has a foot, and she can see in a in a clearer way than each other um, their points of view. So I think she has a she's a little bit of both. I also think you know the way the play is structured. Emily has her time with John. She has her time uh, with Jim. And then she has her time with both. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's when Emily, if there's a modification, if there's something to Emily, it happens when, all, again, I'm not giving anything away, but it happens when you're all together. The two forces are put into one room. How does your character wrestle with that? I think that's a great way of putting at it uh, or putting it. And also, I think a lot of it, a lot of my job in those scenes with the three of us is listening. Um, so it's a, so almost like an, um, it's really a, a response in the moment. And um, we did sort of play with the idea of Emily as a, a bit of a conductor, you know, um, sort of not that she has any control over either of these two. She does not. I mean, th- that's the thing, but there's sort of a, a wrangling of ideas that I think she's trying to ravel together in order to make her, her decision, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, By the way, PJ, since we want to display something, since she just said conductor, I have the um, conductor of Wicked's 20th anniversary night baton that I just bought. So that you might want to work that into the show somehow as an actual conducting thing. Uh, <laughs> Michelle, I also want to talk a little bit about the set. Um, there, this is, it's colorful. It's, I mean, 
the apartment, John's apartment is, you know, in the world of traditional for me, whatever, modern, but the stuff that happens before that in the office, I just, can you tell me a little bit about the set design? Because I, there there was, it was a flavor of, I don't know if it was 70s, 80s or something about it that was just striking me as a very vivid sort of experience. Yeah. Um, I, I, I am a very design driven director and I'm always excited to work. I have such an amazing team and Jeff Kmick was my set designer and this is our second show together. And it's always great to be able to work with a team of people when you have a lot of wild thoughts and ideas in your brain. I, I'm a very visual director. So I'm reading scripts. I get lots of images and thoughts and ideas. And sometimes, and they can be wild. Like I wanted very much to like, when we get to Vegas, I wanted Vegas to really like crush in for people that haven't seen it, but to be very present. And and I'm always a little bit of a non-traditionalist. I, I like, I like, as you know, you saw Rutherford and I've done vibrator. I like, I like to kind of expand, um, uh, these ideas and thoughts. So I'm really excited by this design. It is, lives in kind of a, um, the actual story itself took place between 2004 and then the book was published in 2012. So it's just this really long kind of time period. So we're kind of in that world and space, um, of, of the mid 2000s, um, but then when we get to John's house in Vegas, that's his mom's house, right? So there is something about it being in, in, in a part of a time capsule. It's not John's home per se. It's his mom's home when he goes back to stay with her. So that has all the beautiful, lovely 70s, 80s uh, design flares that you can imagine. <laughs> and that, that chair, which kind of freaks out once you know the story as we hear about it. Although who knows if it's true or not? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> PJ, um, as an artistic director, as somebody who has the experience, do you do you let the director direct, um, or when when you because this is your first time back on the stage since 2015, or do you find yourself saying, "I'm an actor now, I'm going to step back," or do you say, "I've got some thoughts about this," and maybe Michelle's very collaborative as a director. I don't know, but I'm curious as to all your 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 uh, input in this process. Uh, well, Michelle is incredibly collaborative, and and she and I have worked together before as actors together eight years ago and twelve years ago, but. But I, I had never worked in a show with her as director. So I, I tried my darndest to take off my artistic director hat when, when I was in, in the, the rehearsal room and, uh, and, and my colleagues gave me the space and, and grace to, to just be an, an actor, at least while I was in, in that room. And, you know, the other hours of, of the, the day, I go back to my, my day job, but, uh, but if, if I'm not, if I'm not acting in, in a show, yes, I, I try to be a, a great collaborative partner. I, you know, I think of myself as, as a support system for a, a, a director, not, not, not like a, a micromanaging editor, but, um, but a, a support system to, yeah. to try to support their, their, their vision. But, but for this one, being an actor, I tried to stay in my lane. And, and Alex, let me ask, I just want to ask you, I mean, you performed another, it's your timeline debut. I've got special feelings for its timeline, and I know I'm setting you up for this a little bit, but what is it like performing with these folks and being directed by Michelle, the, the experience, everything they bring to the stage, and you get to work with this group? And you're talented. I Don't get me wrong. You're great, but you get to work with this group. It's it's a gift, to, you know, just to sum it all up. Um, I had the pleasure of knowing Michelle um, a few years back through my teaching artist background. 
Um, and I actually did a residency where I helped uh, one of the residencies at Timeline. So I was seeing a show there. And I just remember being blown away by the uh, by the care and commitment Timeline has for history and, and all of the work that goes beyond just what's in the play on, on the script. And so this is a wonderful opportunity for me to not only get to work on this piece, but to work with these phenomenal people. I mean, um, it, it, I feel like I'm learning every single day. And, um, you know, it's, it's such, a, such a gift, like I said. Well, you, you do you do such a tremendous job, and I don't see you and I don't see Jim and John as two ends of a spectrum. I see them somehow in my mind. It's diagonal, uh, mm. two points uh, in a square. Julianne, I can give this one to you. You can toss it to PJ. We have just about a minute left, but I need an update on the new building and what's going to go up so we can excite people about what's going on. Oh, we are getting really excited, and I probably am going to toss this one to PJ, so I don't say too much. But let me just say we're building um, a home where. Um, not only all of our incredible subscribers and art makers and stakeholders will be welcome, but to me most, especially a new generation of theater makers. And I, I'll, I will pass that. PJ, I'll give you, I've got, I can only about, give you about 30 seconds. We're going to all right. Com coming soon to, to uptap, uptap between Lawrence and Foster, 5035 North Broadway. Keep your ears open in the new year uh, for more news about construction beginning on the first home of our own after 27 years, uh, Timeline's new home is coming. So stay tuned. And, and I'll tell you, to me, Timeline has always been a crown jewel in the theater oh. uh, crown of Chicago. It's just, it's so amazing. People need to see Lifespan of a Fact. It's playing through December 23rd, right? That That's our current date. Okay. TimelineTheater.com. Theater spelled the proper T-R-E British way. I don't have intermissions. I have intervals, for example. I love the Brits. And uh, But anyway, so I encourage everybody to see it. Uh, you, you guys are just all great. Michelle, congratulations on the direction. Fan, fantastic cast. Break legs, everybody. Thank you for your time. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks.